0: Hey everyone, what's up? How's it going? Welcome to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. My guest today is Cash Donda. Cash is a digital marketing specialist. He owns his own agency here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He's also a Big VR evangelist, someone who pays a lot of attention to the world of virtual reality, and we talk in depth today about where things are going, what to expect in the coming years. You see your headline on Bloomberg or Mashable or TechCrunch about VR is coming, but no one really knows what that means. You have to go in, get dirty, and, and do the research yourself to really understand what's going on. And Cash lays out. His opinion of what's happening. He shares his perspective and offers a ton of great resources so that you can do your own research and form your own opinions. That's a very important thing that I believe in. I don't want you to just digest whatever I tell you here or digest whatever my guests tell you and then regurgitate it on other people. I want you to take this, assimilate it into the ideas within your own mind and apply it to your own perspective, your own worldview and form your own opinions. That's what I really want. That's why We go deep and we tell long stories and we piece things apart because there is no perfect formula. There is no exact science to this. We're all trying to figure it out. But this is one of my favorite conversations. I had a blast talking to Cash and I think you'll really enjoy it. So tune in to my interview with Cash Donda. So, Cash, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. I, I super excited myself to be popping the live interview podcast interview cherry, so to speak. I apologize <laughs> if apologize for letting the... Uh... The shades up on people, but uh, this is your first podcast interview, which I'm honored to be the host of. And I really want to start off by just giving you an opportunity to talk a little bit about your main project right now, which is Ezra Digital, your digital marketing agency that you started in late 2014. Tell the audience a little bit about what you do there and where the inspiration to start your own marketing agency came from.
1: Yeah, so like you said, Azure Digital is a digital marketing agency. Uh, We primarily work with startups and small businesses to help them generate more revenue using the web. Uh, Mostly we work with B2B companies, you know, businesses selling to other businesses to help them get more leads, close more sales, all that kind of stuff. And then from a service perspective, that includes a lot of digital strategy, web design, paid advertising on Facebook and Google and all the rest, email marketing, SEO, and so on. Uh, It started about three years ago. uh, After I got out of college, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I'd started a few businesses prior to Ezra Digital. But, you know, after I got out of college, I didn't really know exactly which industry I wanted to go into. So I wanted to start a business which would allow me to get exposure to a variety of industries uh, so that I could kind of find out firsthand what really ignites my passions and what doesn't. And so I thought an agency would be really perfect for that. It also allowed me to, you know, flex some of these creative muscles that I really enjoy using as well as the kind of business strategy that I think comes pretty naturally to me.
0: And Pittsburgh is definitely a place where you can find startups to work with. There's a, a burgeoning startup ecosystem here. Tell me a little bit about the challenges that you see these startups facing, because lot of, in a lot of cases, they don't really have the brand e- equity of some of these bigger companies where you know the name and you automatically associate it with something. They're really trying to just break out and get heard and get noticed.
1: So the advice I would give to a lot of our technical startup founder clients is to think from a position of empathy in the shoes of your potential client, right? What are the actual problems that they're having that you're solving as opposed to what are the cool things your product can do? A lot of the time it comes down to simple positioning and messaging and copywriting and really writing first by describing the problem. And then talking about how you are the actual solution instead of saying like, hey, we build XYZ software that does XYZ. You know, your website, your marketing materials should really be focused around, hey, isn't it terrible when you have XYZ problem? Uh, And then you can kind of fill in how your solution can help uh, towards the end. So I think that's the first kind of mistake that I see a lot of startup founders doing, focusing too much on product and not enough on the problem that they're actually solving.
0: A lot of the businesses that we've had on recently have kind of been in this service industry space. And one of my favorite things to ask entrepreneurs and companies in this area is how they got their first couple clients. Because I think for a lot of people out there who are maybe in that entrepreneur phase or in the planning phase, that just feels like such an enormous chasm to cross to get from, all right. I have this idea, I think I could provide this service to someone is giving me money on a regular basis to do this job. Walk us through your experience finding your first couple clients.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I I think most successful entrepreneurs have a good bit of luck at the beginning. Uh, and that's kind of where I was. I just so happen to have random people in my life who needed these kind of digital marketing services. Uh, you know, so for example, my, my hairstylist was my first ever client. She was starting her own salon. I'd been going to her for like two or three years. And so it just happened to kind of work out well like that beyond those kind of people within my own network. I think the key is really to do a lot of spec work to do a lot of free work, uh, not necessarily to build a full project, but to do parts of it. So for example, you know, when I started, we were really focusing on web design primarily. And in order to kind of show the value that we would be able to deliver, we would do these website teardown videos where for 10 or 15 or 20 minutes, I would record myself talking about a potential client's website and explaining in really super clear detail exactly what I think should be changed, exactly what's working and what's not. And that allows somebody to basically take a test drive with you to see how you think and what you actually might be able to do. You know, that was incredibly time consuming. I spent hundreds of hours probably making those kinds of videos for people that didn't even email me back Uh, but i think that's really what you have to do at the beginning is put the legwork in do spec work where possible give people kind of this free trial way of experiencing your service and then after you get a few clients uh, once you build a portfolio it obviously becomes a little bit easier i found in my own business that once we got to around 15 you know really satisfied clients that referral flywheel just kind of kept on going. And we're now at the point where, you know, I'd say 90% of our business plus just comes in from old referrals. So, you know, it might feel painful at the beginning to do the spec work for free, and it might feel like a waste of time, but it ends up, I think, paying pretty high dividends. Absolutely.
0: And that long-term view and understanding the long-term value of that effort that you're putting in is is so crucial to getting through that initial startup phase. Uh, I'm curious about uh, some of these people that you've started to work with if there's any sort of difference between what they hire you to do or what their primary concern is when they bring you in, and if you ever have to maybe change that or reprioritize what you want them to focus on over the course of your working relationship. Because in an agency model, this is an existing relationship. This isn't a transaction where you come in and then you're out and there's never another interaction. It's usually an ongoing
1: relationship, correct? Correct, yeah. I think, you know, especially in the web field, and again, we started mostly with web design, the biggest challenge was kind of getting companies and clients to understand what the possibilities even were. You know, so a lot of people would come and say, hey, we need a new website. Ours looks old. Uh, and the key as an agency owner or as anyone who's doing consulting is to really unpack the, the pains at the bottom of it. So a lot of the work was invested in figuring out, okay, you need a new website, but why do you need a new website? What is this actually going to do for your business? What is the concrete ROI that we're going to be able to deliver. Helping clients, I think, identify their pains in more explicit detail is what opened up the avenue to build these recurring contracts where we could do useful services over and over and over again from month to month. So I think, you know, needs do evolve, but usually the the kind of core pains that people want to fix stay relatively constant until, you know, they're solved. The trouble is just figuring out what those are in the first place, because oftentimes the clients don't know themselves.
0: If you could go back and talk to yourself, I guess you, you said about three years ago, but yeah. two years or so ago when you were starting the business and getting it off the ground, if you could go back and talk to that younger version of Cash, what advice would you give him? Is there anything that you wish you that you know now that you wish you'd known when you were starting off to make things a little bit easier or smoother?
1: Oh, yeah, there's, I think, a million things. Uh, <laughs> the I think the biggest thing probably was I was reluctant to do... The hard things, you know, I was very much of the mindset of, you know, just only doubling down on my strengths. And anything that I was unprepared for or didn't personally enjoy doing, I would try to find someone else to do it. Uh, and I think there's certainly places when you want to double down on your strengths. But concretely, what happened was when I started the business, I was really not interested in sales and lead generation. I found it all to be kind of icky. I didn't really know how to do it. I felt kind of vulnerable on the phone, things like that. Uh, So what I did was I hired a few of my friends to act as salesmen while I would do all the technical work. And that turned out to be, you know, a a terrible decision. Uh, For one thing, I isolated myself from my potential clients. So I wasn't actually able to get the exposure I needed to develop services that would actually fix their real problems. And two, I wasn't able to grow, right? I think especially as an entrepreneur, as the founder of a company, you really do need to be Uh, doing the, the difficult things so that you can learn these kinds of skills that become more and more important over time. So yeah, I think focusing on building skills that even if I didn't like, I knew they would be important over time was a key lesson that I should have learned a lot faster. I think also confidence was a big thing. I think as a new entrepreneur, you have a lot of that imposter syndrome where it's like you're kind of asking people to give you money without really having a track record to prove why they should. And so you can feel you know uh, very small and really just do whatever the client wants. And I think that's the exact wrong approach. right? Uh, you need to come in confident that you are an expert, even if you're only a relative expert, and then execute on what you think is best for the client, not just what they think is best for themselves. I think those are two major lessons that I, I could have learned a lot of, uh, earlier, but it took me a, a good deal of time to pick up.
0: Thank you for sharing that. I think that's uh... Definitely something that other people can take from. It's very easy to try to get away from doing some of the hard parts of the job, but you're so right that that is so essential to growth. Um, I want to talk a little bit about how your services evolve. You mentioned at the beginning, it was a lot of web design uh, and website creation or consulting. Uh, have you added services or how have you added services beyond that? How do you tie into social media in terms of the marketing advice or consulting that you do?
1: Yeah, so we've added a lot more in the way of paid advertising campaigns as of late, as well as email marketing. So basically we started with the idea that you know the website for a lot of businesses was kind of the hub of their digital presence. And this was much more true, I think, two or even five years ago than it is today. Uh, but we what we realized over time, and I'm sure what a lot of the audience knows is your website is only one part of your digital presence, right? Your social media is very important. Oftentimes, since we work with B2B companies, they're less about social media than they are about email marketing, which, in my opinion, is the most valuable digital marketing channel there is. It's a really an owned audience. Uh, so we've moved to work in these other areas where we can, again, solve these same key problems for these clients, you know, mostly around how do you find more leads? Once you have a lead, how do you move them down the funnel and how do you keep them active? And moving into these new services, you know, it's it's challenging. It's a new set of skills that you have to learn, new hires that have to be made. And, you know, increasingly more and more of the work that's being done is not being done by me or even by the person directly under me. So it can be a little bit scary at times to grow like that. But I think it's been tremendously valuable for the business overall.
0: Yeah. And and among the multitude of additional services that you can offer and always having to be a hand on the pulse of the new trends as they arise. I know that virtual reality is one that you are pretty passionate about and I've put a lot of time into learning yourself. Uh, it's it's really one of the hottest tech trends out there right now. There's Oculus and Google and Samsung all showing off different products. And I'm just curious as someone who, who plays in this digital space and is helping brands kind of figure out these new technologies and platforms as they come out, how close do you think a technology like virtual reality is To being relevant in the mainstream.
1: That's a great question. It's it's one that's a little bit difficult to answer. I think, as you know, so by way of comparison, when I first got into virtual reality, there were about seventy-five thousand headsets out floating around the world, mostly from Oculus. Twenty sixteen, by comparison, we're expecting to see about ten million headsets delivered to customers, and that's not including Google Cardboard, where there's you know millions and millions more. I think probably by 2020 is when we're thinking that it's going to be about a $30 billion industry annually. Uh, the majority of that revenue coming from software, of course, uh, and part of it coming from hardware. But I think that it's going to take a few years until we see mainstream adoption. Uh, right now, there are a few key things that are limiting the, the spread of virtual reality. Uh, I, th- I think the first is really the practicality of it. In order to get really good virtual reality right now using the Oculus Rift or the HTC Vive, you need to have a high-end gaming computer, a desktop computer, which costs at least a thousand dollars, and then it's another six or seven hundred dollars on the headset. Um, so it's, you know, a very expensive proposition to get into the game. And then once you're actually in it, you're kind of tethered to wherever your desktop computer is. So it's not portable. It's not so shareable as we might want. The other limiting factor right now is the the mainstream use case just isn't there. You know, watching movies, playing games in virtual reality, having these incredible experiences. Uh, Is fun and important for early adopters, but not necessarily compelling enough to make, you know, my mom go out and buy a headset. Uh, Really, the killer mainstream use case is going to be social interaction and telepresence, uh, which we can talk more about. But I think it's going to be a few years until that actually is here in full force on a broad consumer level.
0: Yeah, I just want to uh, double down on the point you made there, which is the idea that, so someone listening to this right now is listening to a podcast, and that's a completely passive experience. They're probably riding in their car or cooking dinner or working out or going for a walk or something. They can be doing any, basically anything else while they listen to a podcast, whereas virtual reality is on the exact opposite end of the spectrum, where if you have that thing stuck to your face, it can be a great experience, but you are really exclusively doing that. You can't be doing anything else on the side. And I think that that is an until there's really completely transformational, compelling content to be consumed on that platform. It's just not going to have the buy in in the mainstream.
1: Yeah. You know, it's a difficult thing, especially in a world where, you know, these second screen experiences, as they're known, are so dominant where anytime we're watching TV, we're also on our phone On Wikipedia we're texting we're doing whatever Um, it's it's really a pretty dramatic change to the world of virtual reality which is you know by definition completely immersive you can't see anything else you're totally locked into the experience that you have so it's a it's a change in behavior It's a change in the way that we kind of digest media and entertainment Um, at the same time you know there are tremendous benefits that come as a result of that right by being fully immersed you can allow yourself to create these types of experiences which are not possible with any other types of technology and so I think that you're totally right. The the content is going to be the key here, as it usually is. And the applications that really allow you to do compelling things in virtual reality, which are only now starting to kind of bubble up, still need to arrive here.
0: If you were to look over it and, you know, looking out in the future, 5, 10, 15 years, how, whatever, whatever time frame you choose, mm-hmm. is there an, a specific application that excites you the most? Is there either an idea in your head or you know something that's been suggested by someone else you know in the space that makes you just really excited for the potential human experience on the platform? Just to start off with mine, I have, I have a good friend, Michael Van Ness, who uh, is, is very active in the nonprofit space. He's just one of those guys who is constantly self-sacrificing for others, one of one of my good buddies. And he's just, you know, occasionally hits these moments of cynicism that I've talked to him about, where he's just like, nothing's going to change. There isn't any empathy for our fellow human beings who are in these uh, other parts of the world. And to me, one of the most compelling, interesting things about VR is if you could put on the headset and actually be in a refugee camp or be not necessarily in a war zone, but in, in with the people who've been displaced by a war or a battle or a natural disaster, the ability to empathize with their situation and how that will activate people to help their fellow human beings, I think is enormous potential. It's much going to be much more emotionally activating than just seeing it on a TV screen or a computer screen or reading about it. I think seeing that viscerally can really impact people. So that's something I'm very optimistic about. I'm curious if there's anything else that gets you really excited.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I think it starts really with the empathy machine. Um, Roger Ebert, the, the famous movie critic, once said that movies are like a machine to generate empathy. And I think had he actually experienced virtual reality, he would see how shallow the empathy generated by film is relative to uh, to what virtual reality can do. Uh, so, you know, for the nonprofit space, I think there's tons of really impressive things there. Uh, Clouds over Sidra is one of the experiences that I think you uh, were alluding to with the, the Syrian refugees. And it's being used by a host of other nonprofits. You can imagine uh, Charity Water, which is a charity that does uh, water efforts, clean water efforts in Africa. Yeah. At their recent fundraiser, our annual gala, they had something like 100 headsets so that everyone who was there could actually step in and see their pump being installed and activated and everything else and the difference it made in making these people's lives. Um, and they ended up raising something like $2.5 million on the back of that. Uh, so I think it, it can be really compelling. And it really comes down to the fact that there's a difference between storytelling, uh, which is what video does, what text does and first-person story creation. If I go up on a mountain and I tell you about my trip up there, that's storytelling, and you might be able to get a sense of what that was like, and that can be interesting, but it's not nearly as compelling as if I take you up on the side of the mountain with me, and then we come back down and talk about it, right? That's first-person story creation where you really understand from a first-person perspective what that was like, and so I do think that the ability to create empathy there is huge. Going beyond, like, non-profit and video kind of content. I think that the the social content is really what I'm most excited for. I think that's why Facebook initially bought Oculus a few years ago for $2 billion uh, before they even had a consumer product out. The telepresence that we're going to be able to have is is really jarring almost. I first had a social experience maybe two years ago where I went into a virtual reality theater. We were watching a movie And some random, apparently a kid from Japan entered the room. And we were there, you know, uh, there's head tracking so you can move your head around and do kind of basic expressiveness that way. And then we were able to talk to each other. And it was really a surreal experience feeling like you were actually kind of there with somebody. Uh, Not as if it was real life, of course, but there's certainly something very real about the social interaction. I think that's what I'm most excited about. You know, Oculus just opened up a lab in Pittsburgh to further research these avatars. And how they can make them as close to real life interaction as possible. And I think that intimacy that virtual reality offers is really compelling from a personal standpoint, right? Being able to hang out with my grandparents and, you know, play cards or play ping pong or go travel the world in virtual reality is amazing. As well as for businesses, right? I think you know, we can all agree that video chat meetings are not great, right? They're nowhere near as effective as in-person meetings are. But I think virtual reality in the business context offers an opportunity to have productive, intimate meetings, which feel as good as in-person meetings. Uh, I do think those are, again, a few years away, but I think that's probably what I'm most excited about. Yeah. Another thing I got, I got to admit, this is probably more on the
0: selfish side, side, less on the humanitarian side, is the live events, or it's actually kind of, I guess, Tied to like live video and Periscope and Facebook Live and things like that, but uh, sitting courtside at the finals and and exactly. right now you know the the finals are happening now as we're recording this and there's only 90 seats or whatever that actually line the perimeter of the floor, but it's not. Unimaginable that one day in the near future you'll be able to essentially buy a digital seat to be courtside, and with a 360 camera, you'll be able to look around and experience like you're sitting right there and watching the athletes run by. Yeah, so that's absolutely. another thing that I know, and that would also kind of tie into that social experience
1: as well. But that's that's up there with my uh my uh absolutely. dreams as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think. Really, the beauty is any kind of ephemeral experience which would otherwise have limited access can now be reproduced on a massive scale at almost no margin, right? So I think sports events are a great example. I'm really into music and into concert, uh, and there's already a few really nice experiences in virtual reality where you can be on stage with Paul McCartney or be sitting down while U2 plays a private show all around you. Things like that, I think, are going to be super exciting. There's actually one application that's in development right now uh, in Europe, so it's mostly based on... European football or soccer, where uh, you're standing in a stadium, you have a view of the entire game from a box perspective, but then you can actually jump from perspective to perspective throughout the game, right? So you can actually follow the ball. If there's an offensive attack, you can switch the perspective of the goalkeeper. Um, and really enable viewing experiences that you can never have in real life, right? In real life, you're limited to that front row seat and that's it. Uh, But in virtual reality, you can jump around seamlessly and get all all the best perspectives uh, really with the click of a button. So it's pretty tremendous, I think.
0: Yeah, I uh, have heard some rumblings. I I play in the American Ultimate Disc League, semi-professional Ultimate Frisbee, and there's some rumblings that we've got a similar technology uh, and plan in the works for the next couple years for that league and being able to track each player and what they're doing over the course of a game is... uh, Uh, pretty exciting would really kind of change the viewer experience online. It's very clear, Cash, that this is uh, something you're very interested in, you have a passion for learning about. I'm curious if there's any resources that you could direct the audience to if, you know, this conversation or other conversations have kind of piqued their interest, where you would direct them to to kind of just learn more about virtual reality, but more importantly, just kind of get a feel for for where the technology is right now and maybe uh, some realistic expectations for where it's going.
1: Yeah, so I think the most accessible form of virtual reality right now is in the form of these mobile headsets uh, like Google Cardboard or the Samsung Gear VR. And basically what's happening there is that your phone is actually the engine behind the virtual reality. It's doing all the work that the desktop computer would otherwise be doing. The thing about virtual reality is it really is important to experience it in order to believe it. You know, like you have to see it for yourself. Just thinking about it or seeing a 360 video on a 2D screen is never going to be enough, right? It's, it's the difference between looking through a window and then being on the other side of that window outside, able to walk around and all that. So if you are interested in virtual reality, I would highly recommend at the very least getting a Google Cardboard. They sell for something like $15. The designs are free online if you're pretty handy. And then almost any phone can slip into there. Uh, As far as resources that can kind of start you off, I think the New York Times has a virtual reality app where they're doing very interesting journalism. So if you are interested in these kind of humanitarian causes and things like that, um, or news reporting, that's a great place to start. Beyond that, there's places online where you can find other experiences. Uh, The subreddit is really good. Uh, So it's reddit.com slash r slash oculus is the, the main subreddit. A lot of the new experiences come up there, and that's a really exciting thing to do. YouTube is a great place to see people play through games. Twitch is also quite good to see a lot of live video game streaming. And then I think there's always value in reading some of the really smart tech writers who are kind of envisioning and thinking about where this is going to go. Ben Thompson is one of the writers. He does a blog called Stratechery that I would highly recommend. It's not exclusively about virtual reality, but he does talk about it from time to time. Uh, Benedict Evans is another guy. He works for Andreessen Horowitz, uh, and he does some writing on virtual reality, which is really compelling as well. But yeah, I would really encourage anybody to... Go out and try it try it out. If you listen to this and you're interested, I mean, I have the Oculus Rift here with me. I'm happy to give demos. So feel free to shoot me an email and we can try and set something up. Cool. Well, I'll probably be taking you up on that sometime <laughs> here in the near future. Uh, but you've given a
0: ton of resources here that uh, the audience is definitely going to be able to use in the show notes Going deep com slash podcast. And I have to say that Ben Thompson at Stratechery.com might be my favorite blog on the internet. His writing is so good. I just read uh, his analysis of uh, future podcasting, but also the Microsoft uh, acquisition of LinkedIn and what they're doing there. And it's just consistently fantastic writing.
1: Oh Yeah, I got to check that one out. His his worldview and his ability to frame things in a really consistent and easy to digest way, I think is just unparalleled. He's got tremendous vision.
0: Yeah, I think he wrote a follow-up piece to, uh, I, I mentioned this one, Uh, in the past, but the next big thing will look like a toy post that was basically called Snapchat before it even happened. (laughs) And it was just like going back and reading that, I was just like, man, this guy just really, he really gets it. So all that will be linked to, as I mentioned, and uh, we'll start wrapping up here, Cash. Before we tell people how to connect with you and you shoot the personal challenge to the audience, is there anything I just didn't give you a chance to
1: say? Uh, No, I think we we covered most of it. Uh, I think the last thing is really to... Just, I guess on the virtual reality point, I would want to stress how big of a deal I think this is. You know, it's pretty easy to see it like a 3D television or things like that. Uh, it's kind of gimmicky fats that don't add a lot to the experience of enjoying content or anything like that. Um, and I could not disagree more. I think that virtual reality is truly the next great medium, right? We're living in a time where uh, mobile is the dominant medium. A few years ago, it was the web. And before that, it was video and radio and everything else. But virtual reality is, I think, the next great medium. It's going to offer entirely new possibilities for human beings to connect with each other, to understand each other, uh, to be intimate with each other, as well as for entrepreneurs who are willing to take some risks. Uh, There's entirely new business models that no one ever could have uh, imagined in years past that are now at your fingertips. Um, And so the best way to get started is to just jump into it. So if you have any interest, I would say download Unreal Engine, download Unity. These are gaming engines which allow you to design virtual reality experiences and just start playing around.
0: Fantastic. That's a a ton of great information. I'm sure the audience will hopefully take you up on that offer, Cash. If they want to follow you, learn more about you and follow the the things that you're up to, what are the digital coordinates that we can direct them to?
1: So uh, the business is Ezra Digital. You can go to ezradigital.com and see a little bit more about what we're about there. You can follow me personally. I'm not super active on social media, not nearly as active as I should be as a guy who works in marketing. But I do have a personal site, cashdonda.com. I send out a newsletter every other week, and I sometimes write blog posts. Uh, And if you want to connect, that's a great place to find me.
0: Cool. As we mentioned before, that will be linked to in the show notes, goingdeepwithaaron.com slash podcast. Cash, it has been an absolute blast talking to you, dude. I want to thank you for coming on the show and give you the mic one last time so you can take it away with a personal challenge for the audience.
1: Yeah, so uh, I think I have a pretty tactical Uh, challenge for the audience. It's something very specific that I think really anybody should be able to do. It's specifically for entrepreneurs or anyone who's doing a lot of self-directed work and that is to put 30 minutes on your calendar this Friday to plan your next week and to plan it in detail using a technique called time blocking where for each day uh, you set aside specific amounts of time to accomplish different tasks. So you know you might look through your calendar, see all your meetings, say that this meeting will take an hour, it'll take 30 minutes to prep and 20 minutes to travel And by doing that each different day and thinking through what other objectives you need to get accomplished on those days, you're able to get a really clear sense of what your week looks like. That's great not only for scheduling, which it'll just make you feel better and lighter and everything. But I think entrepreneurs and self-directed people oftentimes work uh, too long accidentally. And I think the research is very clear that you need time to rest uh, and allow the well to kind of refill. Um, So by actually time blocking your days, you can really see uh, where your time should be spent, and then try not to go anything beyond that. I'm going to put my own time tracking, my time blocking sheet on my website. Uh, It'll be cashdonda.com slash going deep. And then you can actually download a copy of the spreadsheet that I use there if you want to try doing it for yourself.
0: Awesome. That is a a great advice. And honestly, probably one of the most important ones that I could take. I'm very guilty of being the Sunday night warrior. So as the weekend's coming to a close, I'm thinking about all the things I have to do in the upcoming week and tossing and turning, staying up way too late and not getting always an optimal start to my week because I definitely don't do anything like this. So I'm definitely going to try this and I hope the audience will as well. That would be great. Yeah. I think you'll find it super beneficial cool we just went deep with cash donda of ezra digital hope everyone out there has a fantastic day thanks a lot Aaron. Hey everyone, hope you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure that you hit subscribe if you haven't already done so. Stitcher, iTunes, Overcast, wherever you're listening to this. Hit subscribe so you don't miss another episode of the show. Go back and check out some of our most popular episodes like episode 71 with Bob Seawright, episode 107 with Mayor Bill Peduto. We've got a ton of great ones in the catalog that you need to check out and a ton coming down the pipe as well that you're going to enjoy. You're going to want to be tuned in and I will look forward to seeing you next time. Take care.